Hello, welcome to the new Dalham History Podcast for all your history revision needs with Gribbin and Howarth. Good tidings we bring. This episode, we're going to be looking at the church on the new Dalham History Podcast. It's the crime and punishment paper. We're going to be talking you through one of the key change factors uh, for this topic. We're going to take you from the medieval period right the way through to the present day, discussing the role that religion has played. Um, we've got a two truths, one lie. And in terms of technique gribbing, which question are we tackling today? We're going to do an explain why question. So specifically, explain why the church sometimes hindered justice in the early 13th century. I cannot wait. 12 marks of deliciousness. Okay, we're going to start at the beginning in the medieval period. And we're going to look at the role that um, the church played in medieval crime and punishment. So we're going to cover some trials, um, some sanctuary, benefit of the clergy and the church courts. Today in our lesson we had a little recap on trial by ordeal and everyone seemed to remember that there were four types of trial by ordeal. Uh, Hot iron, cold water, hot water and blessed bread. Um, And it was used to decide guilt or innocence through the church if that couldn't be decided previously in a trial by jury. I think that says a lot about the role of the church in the medieval period. If you couldn't work out whether somebody was innocent or guilty or not, it just made sense to them that you would turn to God to send a sign because that's what God does. God communicates with you through kind of miracles and omens uh, in the everyday natural world. So you could turn to your local priest. He would be able to work out whether somebody was innocent or guilty. Absolutely. And then all the other things as well that the church played a part in were also sort of really significant. So sanctuary, if someone was on the run from the law and could reach a church, they could claim sanctuary. Um, They were under the protection of the church then and even the sheriff couldn't remove them. They had 40 days to either face trial or leave the country. And if they chose to leave, they had to walk barefoot and carrying a wooden cross to the nearest port and board the first ship overseas. So it actually gave people an opportunity to escape the law as well. Nice. It's again just the church with forgiveness and that opportunity to to think about what you've done. Um, what's next then? So we've also got church courts and benefit of the clergy, which are, are linked together. Mm-hmm. Church courts. Um, the church had their own courts, uh, separate from ordinary courts, and unlike the ordinary courts, they didn't sentence people to death. Uh, They dealt with a range of moral offences, including failure to attend church, swearing, drunkenness, adultery and, God forbid, playing football on a Sunday. God forbid. It makes sense that they have their own uh, courts, though, doesn't it? Because the church itself is led from Rome. The Pope is the head of the church and then the archbishops are selected by the Pope and the King. So it is a separate system. So it makes sense that although they're in England, they're not necessarily part of the English legal system. Exactly. But people play that to their own advantage, don't they? Yes, by using this benefit of the clergy. And it was um, the claim that they that people could be ch- uh, tried in a church court. So if you claimed benefit of the clergy, you would be tried in a church court instead of a regular court, which was in theory only intended for priests. However, anyone loosely connected with the church uh, used it to escape tougher punishments. They didn't uh, really do execution, did they? That's the thing. Yeah. Um, the church... Used a test, so you had to pass a test, but you only had to read a verse from the Bible. Uh, so it weeded out uh, non-churchmen because usually the priests and the churchmen were the only people in the sort of vicinity that could actually read. Um, however, lots of uh, criminals started to learn the words of the verse by heart. 
I remember this because then sometimes they try and catch them out by saying, read this passage of the Bible. And they'd be like, I know this. It, it's it's blah, 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 blah. And then they'd have it upside down and they'd be like, oh, I, you can read upside down or the wrong page. or Yeah. Yeah. So that was known as the neck verse and it could literally save your neck from the hangman's noose. Wow. So from medieval into the early modern period, people's religious beliefs don't really change a lot. If anything, for some people, it becomes more serious. As well as believing in the Bible, the belief in things like witchcraft and the devil becomes really serious, especially in the 17th century when the king, King James, writes his book on how to spot demons, demonology. So people become convinced that when there's bad things happening, it's because of the devil at work in your community. So certainly, again, if you're writing an answer about witchcraft, you can't help but talk about people's beliefs in Christianity because it is that belief in good and evil that's coming through there. Yeah, there were lots of links with the devil. So if you had, uh, you know, a cat or a spider or a fly, that was known as a familiar and that was your connection to the devil um, to do the devil's work for him. And it's these really religious groups that come to the fore. By this point, the church has split. Henry VIII has had his reformation in England. The uh, idea of Protestantism from Germany has come across to our island. And you've got your traditional Christians, your Catholics, who are still following the Pope. But then you've also got these groups such as the, the Puritans, who are really strict into the, the literal truth of the Bible, not necessarily the religion, and trying to purify the church. So when Oliver Cromwell becomes leader, he's getting rid of things like going to the theatre, drinking, again, God forbid, playing football on a Sunday. Eating too much. I mean, he sounds like a proper Scrooge. But at the same time, he was obsessed with puns. Oh. Absolutely loved a pun, just like we do. What a guy. Um, he also... Uh, what else did he? What else did Oliver Cromwell do? I've just had a break. <coughs> Are we moving on from Oliver Cromwell? Well, it, at the same time, a little bit earlier, actually, Elizabeth, she's big on cracking down on vagabondage. So this idea, uh, like Morrissey said in the Smith song, the devil will make work for idle hands to do. So people are refusing to work. Yeah. Mm. They're, they're therefore allied with the devil. Yes, so, and knee punching. Um, also, during this time period, there's a sort of a new connection between the church and treason as well, because the monarch, because of Henry VIII splitting away from Rome and creating his own church, technically becomes the king and the head of the church at the same time. So there's slight connection there between heresy and treason. It's like academisation, isn't it? Mm. Losing that um, over... Oversight from the, the governing body means that you can take more power for yourself. The only other thing, I suppose it's a transition really between the early modern period and going into the 18th, 19th centuries. We've got the bloody code where people become a little bit, well, the wealthy become a little bit obsessed with the fact that poor people are criminals. But then you've got religious people who don't like the idea of executions and they look for alternative reformative measures. So increasing the use of prisons, increasing the use of transportation, yeah, because actually it goes against all religious codes to murder people for, uh, well, just minor offences mm. like stealing an apple. Yeah. Or is it over five shillings worth of uh, goods? It is. is punishable by death. Yeah. So pretty um, extreme. But Christian moral compass means that people are opposed to that. So again, if you see people be nice in the crime and punishment paper, chances are they're probably using Christian ethics. So even if you yourself don't believe, chances are the person that you're looking at did. And to perfect examples of that, as we move through into the 18th and 19th century, are two key individuals, um, Elizabeth Fry, who was a Quaker, famously very um, philanthropic, and they like to look after other people and give to charity a lot and reform things. The Quakers are very famous for that. Um, she 
visited Newgate Prison, noticed the conditions that um, women and children particularly were living in and decided that prisons needed reform in education, in um, the how they housed people, in the way that they were treated and um, just in general, everything needed to be improved a little bit. Yeah, but it does come back to her beliefs and the, this idea of people need that opportunity to, if they know the Bible, then they won't commit crime. Absolutely. And another um, key individual there is John Howard, again, a uh, campaign for improving prisons. And he was the person that introduced the idea of having a chapel in prisons because the idea was that religious instruction or religious education would help people learn the difference between right and wrong and then hopefully reform themselves uh, and become better citizens in the future. Yeah, I mean, when we move into the 20th century to the present, obviously the role of the uh, church starts to diminish in British society. But you can still, if you're looking to shoehorn in some religion for even the death penalty, you could say that a lot of the people who were campaigning to end the death penalty, to get it abolished, they tended to use that argument of um, taking somebody's life is, is morally wrong. And, and they'd link it back to New Testament, Jesus' forgiveness and giving people a chance to reform. Two truths, one lie. Now it's time for two truths and one lie. Uh, it's Gribbin's turn, my turn, to test Howarth on his knowledge of the role of the church through crime and punishment. I've got three facts. Howarth has got to decide which one is the lie. You spent a lot of time preparing for this, Gribbin. Absolutely. So I am I'm looking forward really to seeing seriously. what you've done. Yeah. Okay, are you ready? I've never been more ready. My three facts are as follows. Number one, trial by blessed bread could only be taken by priests. A priest prayed that the accused would choke on bread if they lied. The accused was found guilty if he choked. Fits with what I've told my classes. I hope it's true. Okay. Fact number two. Mary I burned over 500 Protestants for heresy. Okay. I know she was a Catholic. That makes sense. And finally, fact number three. Church courts never sentence people to death no matter how serious the crime i'm going to say that's the lie there must have been some things that even they would execute people for uh you are wrong oh no mary only burned 300 protestants oh, only 300 protestants <laughs> Um, so she didn't reach the giddy heights of 500 Protestants burned, only 300. But it is, in fact, true um, that uh, church courts never sentence people to death, no mm. matter how serious the crime that was committed. Just get passed on to the king's courts, I suppose, if it was that serious. Makes Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. Well done. You caught me out. I win. <laughs> At life. <laughs> OK, so it's technique time. Um, we're going to skip out the walking, talking, Mark mainly because we spent a good eight minutes there telling you all about the role of the church in crime and punishment. We'd be repeating ourselves. We went through it in so much detail. Record-breaking. Indeed, that comb had such fine teeth. <laughs> so we're going to look at the question, explain why the church sometimes hindered justice in the early 13th century, which is a 12-mark question. 12 markers, that means three P paragraphs. Don't worry about a conclusion. Or an introduction. Don't waste your time. Not needed. Uh, so in this question, you could include, it's got some bullet points for you to use. You can use the bullet points. You don't have Ooh, to use the bullet points. Didn't get bullet points in my day. <laughs> you do have it a lot easier than people have had in the past, but you don't have to use the bullet points. If you don't understand it, just leave it out. The question then is asking about hindered justice. I can see that question catching people out. To hinder, yeah, means to hold back. 
the opposite of help, basically. Um, and justice is the principle of, um, you know, the fair process of law. So bringing people to justice means punishing them appropriately for crimes they've committed and not letting people get away with things, basically. And I think we would agree that in the 13th century, the church definitely did hinder justice. So the bullet point trial by ordeal, that's very clear that obviously it's it's not necessarily going to get you the true innocent and guilty verdict that the evidence would have provided had you had it. Yeah, it's a trial based on luck, basically, isn't it? You know, it's very unlikely that you're going to recover um, from one of those trials uh, and be proven innocent. So therefore... Uh, it's not a, a, a thing that is upholding justice. And that's where people go wrong on these explain why questions, isn't it? They do a great job of describing the thing mentioned in the bullet point, mm. but they forget to link it back to the question. So it's great to know about the trials by ordeal, but you need to make sure that you are explaining how that's hindering justice. Absolutely. The next bullet point is um, sanctuary, which is you know quite obvious why that hindered justice, because it let people escape the law. They could claim sanctuary and escape to the nearest port within 40 days, and they were sort of untouchable by the law. Which means that the, the justice that society's hoping to uh, put in place, that, that can be avoided. So you'd then need a third way that the church hindered justice in the uh, 13th century. And again, you could go for things like benefit of the clergy, you could go for neck verse, couldn't you? There's, there's alternatives. Yeah, so three reasons, a bit of evidence, but linking back to that explaining why. One other word of warning, if you don't include information of your own, even if you've got fantastic explanations on the two points that are made, you can't get into that top uh, descript, can you? I believe you're capped at seven marks out of 12. Yeah, that, that fits with the Germany paper. So. Yeah. so even if you wrote two amazing paragraphs but only used the bullet points, you would only be able to get seven marks, no more, maximum. But I suppose you can look at it the other way. Even without knowing anything other than what's mentioned in the question, you're still getting over half marks. True. So where can we go to find out more? Oh, it's a big topic, isn't it? It's a thousand years worth of religious change. So it's not like there's one programme that does it all. Also, because of the court, the nature of the course, it spans over the centuries from medieval to the present day. It's very difficult to find a single thing that covers that entire time period. Yeah. So, I mean, within school, we've got a couple of episodes of... Uh, BBC Four show called Time Shift. We've got the one on the story of capital punishment and the one on the story of corporal punishment. They both discuss religion and the change over. It's more the late, uh, early modern period to the modern period, but still good if you're interested. We can certainly send you a link to that within school. Yeah, wider. You could look at anything that uh, addresses Henry VIII's break from Rome because it's to do with the religious turmoil, the civil war. Uh, Tudors in general because they're the ones that cause all the religious turmoil religious in the turmoil. early yeah. modern period um, and do speak to the RS teachers if you are somebody who is picked to do the RS GCSE you're going to be able to bring in some of the modern stuff I'm sure they've got some stuff on the religious arguments um, ask them I'm sure they've got some clips and videos that you can watch there too good tip um, the revision guide certainly does some case studies on the church have a look at those and the textbooks have got uh, separate sections on the different change factors. So they're a good overview if you're wanting to make a timeline. I know a lot of students who've previously been successful have wanted to put the information they've got into thematic uh, chronologies. So we're into the last bit. 
the bit that most people hold on for, I suspect. I've been looking at the episode spikes for the minutes listened to. Would you believe that it's the end and our fantastic jokes that most people are skipping ahead to? Maybe we should start mixing it up a little bit and putting them in different parts. I imagine if we catch you out. But no, (laughs) that's not who we are. We are predictable. You know that. So what we've got for you is a religious joke. Absolutely. Oh, you have the religious joke, I think, Miss Gribby. I haven't had any. um, The first joke. Which makes sense. It's a relig. Is it religious? Tenuous? Nah. Okay, so here's your first joke about Elizabeth the first. Ready? Uh, yes. <laughs> I just read a post about Queen Elizabeth the first, and something struck me as odd. After spending forty-four years on the throne, I suppose she's the most constipated ruler ever. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. That wasn't necessarily a, a religious joke. Uh, we're struggling a little bit, to be honest, because obviously it is a sensitive subject. But, um, yeah. Next well, joke. Let's go for it. Okay. We'll finish on high. It's one of our own. Okay. Are you ready? Uh, yes. What did one heretic say to the other heretic? What did one heretic say to the other heretic? Can you smell burning? <laughs> <laughs> That might be us grieving. Oh dear. <laughs> it's goodbye from her. <laughs> goodbye from him. Goodbye. <laughs>